Uh, so excited tonight to be talking about the topic that we're going to be looking at. I, I love Six O'Clock Church. I love the family here. And I've been um, looking forward to this tonight for a long, long time to be able to talk about this. And um, yeah, like I say, it's a, a topic I'm really passionate about. It's uh, something that's really changed my life and uh, I really do believe can change yours too. And so, um, yeah, I'm oddly kind of pumped for tonight. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And uh, so the topic we're going to be looking at is, can I have a little drum roll, a little drum roll? Oh, money! Hey. If it wasn't already obvious from uh, the little intro song, tonight we're going to be talking about money. In case you were wondering, we won't be talking about ABBA at all, so if you're a big ABBA fan, I apologize. That's all of that from tonight. So why are we talking about money? Why is this so important? Well, studies have found that money is the number one cause of stress. Money is the number one cause of sleepless nights. Studies have also found that money is one of the leading causes of marriage breakdowns. And money is uh, an issue for us in the church too. This isn't just something outside. This is something that affects us too. And, and for some reason, we can get a bit weird about the topic of money in church. I know I've gotten a little bit weird about it too. And it's a little bit dumb to be strange about money because it's such a big topic, such a big issue in our lives. And on top of that, Jesus, he spoke about money a lot. If you read about his teachings in his life, he spoke about money all the time. In fact, he spoke about money more than he spoke about sex or heaven or hell. That's how big a topic this was. This is uh, why we are going to address this topic tonight. It was a big deal to Jesus and it's a big deal to us. So tonight we're going to be looking at some stats and we're going to be looking at some stories because both the numbers and our experiences shape our view on money. So first thing, we're going to look at some stats. House prices. What do you think is the average house price in the UK? Average house price in the UK. £227,000. Average price across the UK. What about the average house price in London? £474,000 over double the UK average to buy a house in our city. It's full on, it's full on. I remember when I first moved there and I'd be getting the train into to central London, I'd be picking up the metro as you do and you'd be flicking through the pages and at the back they'd have the property section and, and you'd have all these page after page after page of, of property ads with headlines like amazing value properties now available starting at just £450,000. And it's like, wow, it's like a sale on for houses. You have to pay half a million pounds for this two-bedroom flat four, four miles outside of the M25. It's like amazing. And it used to, to be honest, it used to stress me. I genuinely had to stop flicking through those pages because it just felt like this completely unattainable, unrealistic thing that we are faced with day in, day out. So that's the, the kind of stats to kick us off. What about a story? Well, the story we're going to look at is one that actually took place 2,000 years ago and took place in another capital city in Jerusalem. And this story has been retold time and time again because it was such a meaningful and significant moment for those who witnessed it. And the story takes place in the, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is with his, his followers, with his disciples. And uh, it's the time of day where people are coming to drop off their offerings. So they've got these kind of offering buckets, a bit different than here. They'd have these kind of big collection containers where people would walk up to and drop in their money. 
And the time came the day where the rich people start rolling in and making their offerings. And it's different from today when we've got kind of contactless and online banking and standing orders and all that. Back then, if you were going to make a big offering, people would know about it. You're there dropping just big amounts of coins in these buckets and everyone can hear it and everyone's watching. And that's what was going on. The disciples are just transfixed by these big wealthy ballers just rolling in with their fancy clothes and just dropping in coins into this bucket. Everyone is fixated on the big, generous, as it seems, rich people giving their money. Everyone but one person. Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in all these kind of wealthy people dumping their cash in the buckets. He's got his eyes fixed on something else. And out of the corner of his eyes, he spots an old woman, an elderly widow, walking towards the offering buckets. And without any fanfare, any attention, without anyone paying any notice, she drops in two small coins. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, guys, 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 I, I think you missed it, but did you just see what just happened? That lady has just taught us all what it means to be generous. And you can just imagine the disciples' reactions. You're like, you, you did see that guy with the like gold bucket pouring the gold coins, right, Jesus? And I don't even know if she put in anything. It was so small, I couldn't even see. Yet Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For the rich all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So how can we relate to this story? It happened 2,000 years ago, but it still has significance for us today. So the first overlap we see between the widow story and ours is that she lives in the most expensive city in the land. Jerusalem, like London, would have been the most expensive place to buy property, to buy foods, to get around, to, to buy drinks, whatever it might be. You'd be paying more where the widow lived than anywhere else in the nation. But on top of that, this widow was in the worst possible financial situation. You couldn't get any worse than her financial situation because back then there was no benefits. If you weren't working, if you didn't have an income, if you weren't in a great place financially, you couldn't uh, get benefits. You couldn't go to a, a job center. You couldn't get a check in the post. You relied on the income of your husband. So if your husband had died, you could be pretty screwed. You could be taken advantage of. You could starve. And that's the position this widow was in. And her poverty is highlighted by the fact that all she has to live on are these two small coins that she puts in the offering. These coins were called lepta, and each one would be worth about 50p in today's currency. So this widow only has one pound left to her name, and she gives it all away. She gives all she has to live on away. Why? Why, when you're in a desperately poor situation, would you give your last pound away? How could she do that? What enabled her to be so generous despite having so little? Well, let's look into that. Over the past year, we've been looking at the three elements of walking with God. The three different parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We've looked at in, out, and up. So first of all, in. The whole thing of caring and building community, building family. 
out, going out, not just staying in our own little holy huddle, but sharing our faith with our friends and family members and colleagues and serving the poor and up. The source of everything, our worship to God, our love for him, prayer and devotion, in, out and up. And these three things also apply to how we view and spend our money. So first of all, out. Another stat for you. What would you guess is the average amount, the average percentage that an adult in the UK gives to charity? What would you guess is the average amount that we, percentage-wise, give to charity in the UK? Bearing in mind that we are living in one of the wealthiest countries, not just in the world, but in the history of humanity. What percentage do we in the UK give to charity? 0.5%. Half of 1%, not 5%, 0.5%. And statistically, one in three of us give zero pennies to charity. One in three give absolutely nothing to charity here in the UK, one of the wealthiest nations in the history of humanity. As a church, we want to see people saved. We want to see people coming to know the love of God, the things we heard about in worship, his grace, his kindness, his mercy. So how are we going to do that? Well, how did they do it right at the very start? Right at the very beginning of church, right at the heart of our DNA was generosity. See, what happened in the early churches, people were so lavish and radical in their generosity to one another that it drew people towards them. See, people are drawn to generosity because they see freedom. We are enslaved by money. That has a hold on us. And what we discover is getting more doesn't actually give us more peace. In fact, it can often do the opposite. And we also find that getting more money doesn't make us more generous. Because money becomes our master. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying the heart of, of money isn't to do with wealth, it's to do with worship. It's not to do with wealth, it's to do with worship. By default, we worship, we love, we are devoted to money. You don't need me to convince you of that. You can just look at your own heart or the state of our city and the state of our nation. So when you live for God, when you serve a different master, it stands out. When you're radically generous with your finances, it makes a huge difference. It's noticed because it's not normal. It really is not normal. Now, granted, generosity towards your biological family is pretty standard. It's pretty normal. It's not that shocking if, you know, a parent is generous to their kids. That's not that big of a surprise. However, when you are radically generous with people who you're not obliged to, people you're not related to, in fact, even people who might not have even known that long, that isn't normal. That is different. It's shocking. It's intriguing. It's odd, and it draws people. When I, uh, I lived in Nottingham, 
I just started going to a new barber. So it seems like most of my stories these days are about going to the barbers. And I, um, I was going to a barbers. And always, uh, whenever I get the chance, I want to just talk a bit about my life, a bit about my faith, share Jesus with people. And I always find barbers can be a good place to do it. Equally, they can hate you within about five minutes because they know they're stuck with you kind of rabbiting on about Jesus. And this barber was probably one of those. He wasn't too happy. I was, I was sharing with him about, you know, how I, I worked for a church and how, you know, Jesus made a difference in my life and you can know him too. And he did that classic barber thing, which is like, I'll be polite enough so that you come back and still give me a tip, but I don't want to talk about this. So he's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, cool. Great. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, this is not working at all. I thought, oh, okay, fair enough. And then he said to me, oh, so wait, what church do you actually go to? I said, well, I'm at the one at the end of the road. And he said, in, in the ministry labor exchange, I was like, yeah, yeah, we actually um, got that building last year. He said, how? Who paid for it? And I was like, well, basically what happened is we, we've been uh, outgrowing our rented space and we wanted to buy a property. And all of a sudden we, we discovered that there was this building that was perfect for us that was on the market. The only problem was that the bid deadline to make a bid if you want it was only two weeks away. So then he had two weeks to raise enough money to get a mortgage that would be competitive enough to, to win against all these big corporate investors. And so what we did is we, we called an emergency church meeting. We all gathered together, prayed about the project, and then went away, got our money, and gave towards it. And in two weeks, we raised £260,000. And he said, what? He said, how, how? I said, well, to be honest, it's quite a young church. The average age is about 20, 25. There's a lot of students, but people just really believe in God so much that they say he's worth everything. And it's so interesting. This guy who had not been interested at all in what I was saying, all of a sudden had all these questions of how could a group of young people raise 260,000 pounds in two weeks? See, that's not normal. What is normal in our world is people doing a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk. A lot of people making claims and saying they believe this or that. But when you back up what you say you believe with how you spend your money, it shows people that you practice what you preach and that actually could be legitimacy to what you're saying. So that's the outward element. The way we spend our money sends a powerful message to the outside world. Secondly, in. What is the in element, the family element of money? Well, as we kind of touched on already, the early church who we read about in the book of Acts, we read in Acts 2, verse 44 to 45, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, again, that is not normal. That is not our Western culture. We live in a consumer culture gripped by materialism, desperate to have more. And whether we like to admit it or not, that can creep into church life. It can creep into these walls here. And church can start to feel like a free event that we attend rather than a family that we're a part of. Or if you want to picture it a bit like a meal, if you're maybe more of a, a visual person, church becomes a bit like a restaurant rather than a bring and share family dinner. 
So in a restaurant, when you go to a restaurant, you don't cook. You don't go into the kitchen and kind of do the work and then do the washing up. You're a consumer. That's what happens in a restaurant. That's, of course, that's normal. But a bring and share dinner is very different altogether. Everyone brings something. Everyone chips in. Now, of course, at a bring and share dinner, if you're new to the group or maybe you didn't get the memo, it's fine. You don't need to bring something. It's no big deal. But if you're one of the family, if you're one of the community, you bring something. That's how it works. What's strange is when you have that one uncle or that one friend who always comes but never brings anything. You know that kind of person? The person who's always happy to show up and eat all the food, but they never bring anything, never do any of the work. And you're like, hey, at the end of the day, you still love them and you still care for them. You're still going to have them there. But it's just a bit odd. It's just a bit weird. It's like you're part of us. You're part of the crew. You're part of the family. Yet you never chip in. Now, we all know how we'd feel if we were the host in that situation. We all know that's not right. But I wonder if sometimes we can view church that way. And here at 6 o'clock church, we have this amazing opportunity to rebel against that culture. We have an opportunity to rebel against the consumer culture and create a new one. We can create a culture not defined by getting more, but by giving more. Not uh, defined by consuming, but by serving. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to get to this culture, this new community, this new way of viewing money? Well, the truth is, it's not going to come from you just listening to this sermon tonight. That's not going to change this culture. That might be the first step, but the way in which we're going to change this culture is when individuals, you and I, choose to take steps of generosity. That's how we're going to change the culture. Because as we do, others will see and want to do the same. Because generosity is contagious. Generosity is contagious. Earlier today, I was, I was hearing from a guy who, um, several years back, he had this large family home and, and was just struck by the fact of so many people in their church who uh, couldn't afford to, to have a home and couldn't afford to, to kind of keep up with rent. And so him and his wife decided to sell their home, to downsize and buy two homes and give one away. I heard that story this morning. It, it gripped me. It made me think, man, in one sense, I'm like, is my heart there? And at the same time, it's like, I want my heart to be there. I want to be that way because generosity is contagious. It makes you think, that could be me too. I remember when I was at my grandpa's funeral uh, several years ago. And people were giving the eulogies about his life. And, and one of the real things that stood out about him was his generosity. And people were, were talking about how he's always fighting to give more and always trying to find ways to be more generous. And they said one of the proudest moments of his life, the, the moment that gave him most joy in many ways, was when he got to a stage where he was giving away 50% of his income. And I remember hearing that as a teenager, just being shocked by it. And then after the funeral was over, all these people started coming up to my family and saying, just this common thread kept through what they were saying. They were saying, well, your grandpa made me promise to never say this. But now he's passed, I feel like he'd be okay with it. Back when I was at university, I couldn't afford to pay my fees for one of the semesters. Your grandpa just paid for it. 
Or some other lady came up and said, I, I couldn't afford a car and I, I had to quit my job. Or it was looking like that because I couldn't get to work. And so he bought me a car. Told me, don't tell anyone. And you might be thinking, whoo, your grandpa must have been minted. Like, what kind of, is he like hedge fund manager? Or like, what was he doing? Like, yeah, I wish I'd gone to meet him. <laughs> I'll tell you the kind of jobs my, my grandpa did. He did a few different ones. One of the ones he did for a lot of his life was he um, was a gardener. He cut people's grass. Not like landscape gardener, not like fancy, just cut grass. Another was um, he worked in a post office. He, um, he had five kids. He lived in an unimpressive old wooden house in North Carolina. I don't think I ever saw him wear clothes that he didn't buy in a charity shop or a boot sale. And when we hear those stories of generosity, it makes you think, I want to live that way. I want to I have so much freedom from money like these people that I can give that freely too. It rubs off on us. Generosity is contagious. And if we're going to change our culture, it's going to take you and I to take those steps day by day to be more and more generous. It starts with us. We don't, I don't know if you looked around, we don't have any multi-millionaires that are going to start doing this. And the truth is you don't have to be some rich person to be generous. All of us can live lives of generosity. Okay, thirdly, up. John 3.16 is the most quoted verse in the Bible. And what does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. For God so loved that he gave. That he gave. Love leads to giving. That's the natural response. The father gave what was most precious to him. His one and only son. And not just that. He didn't just give it to us because we'd worked hard or we'd been good for a few years. No, it says that in the Bible, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave everything to us. When we were in our darkest point, he was lavishly generous, giving everything, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when we understand just the crazy, ridiculous love of God, our natural response is to love him back. You can't help but look at that love and say, I want to give back to you, God. In 1 John, it says, we love because God first loved us. We love, not because we're this kind of awesome, generous people, but we just look at our awesome, generous God and say, well, what else are we going to do? We're going to respond in turn. The reason for generosity is love. It comes from a place of gratitude, not from guilt, not from shame. We're not trying to buy God's love. We don't have to give. We want to give. It's our natural response when we fully understand what's been given to us. The motive is worship. The motive is love, not guilt. And it's also not gain. We don't give so we get more. We don't give so that God will make us rich. One of the most warped understandings of Christian giving is that God has become a, a bank with some pretty good interest rates. 
See, right now, I don't know if you've, you've looked, but interest rates are terrible. So you can be thinking, my finances are tight, so I'm going to start giving because that means God is going to have to give me all this prosperous wealth and I'm going to have that Bentley eventually and you know, I'm never going to struggle financially again because I tithed. No, God isn't some slot machine. He isn't some bank account with good interest. He's the sovereign God. We give out of worship. God won't just give us everything we want, but let me be clear. He will give you all that you need. He promises, I will give you all that you need. Jesus says, if you just look at the flowers and how they are clothed, how much more will I give you all the clothing and food and provision that you need for your life? You can trust that. The widow trusted that. How does a woman who owns one pound, has one pound in her bank account, give all she has? Because she knew that God would provide. She gave out a place of trust, out of love, and so can we. Reminds me of a, a story I heard recently in our church where someone who was, was really tight on, on money and hasn't had an income for quite a while finally came into a bit of work and got their first paycheck. And I found out through someone else, they didn't tell me this themselves, but I found out through someone else that the first thing they did when they got that money was give a huge chunk of it away to someone else who was in need. That is stupid in the world's eyes. That is dumb according to our cultural belief. But as someone who knows you have been given everything, it's a natural and right response to want to give lavishly away. Giving his worship to the one who gave it all. So I just want to get really practical. What are some of the practicalities of giving? Because, because we get a bit awkward about money, we don't really talk about it, and even some of you I can see are very fidgety, and you know, it's one of those things we can you know, find a bit weird. We avoid talking about the practicalities of giving. And as a result, I have people come up to me who say, I really don't get how this works. Can you explain to me like how much, when, where, all that kind of stuff. So let's just dive straight into that. I'm going to give you two practical steps that you can take away from, from tonight. I'm going to give you two different P's. And to do that, um, I want you, I've got some bags um, in the front rows with two, uh, with a bags full of 1P coins, and they're going to be passed around. I want you to take two coins, take two coins out of that bag, two P's. And those two pennies represent pray and plan. Pray and plan. So take your two P's out to remind you to pray and plan. The person next to you, take more out. Give them a little nudge and publicly shame them. <laughs> so first of all, the first P, pray. Pray. Giving is a heart thing. Giving is from the heart. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you spend your money on will tell you what you love, what you value. Now, for those who uh, don't believe in God, who say, look, I, I'm not in that place where I say I believe in God. Hey, it's great to have you here. Now, if you don't believe in God, of course, you wouldn't give. That's consistent. Every week, if you listen, 
We always say, if you're a guest here, if you're new, there's no pressure to give. And we mean that. But as Christians, we know that this is a matter of our hearts for God. And the first step, the first prayer is saying, God, let my heart be warm to you. Let my heart be warm to you. Let my ears be listening to your voice. My hands be open to you. My wallet, my purse, my bank account be open to you. And if you're not in a place yet where you can pray that, then you can pray, God, would you reveal to me why that's hard for me to pray? For some of us, you might have to pray a prayer that I've had to pray a few times, and that's a prayer of repentance. A prayer of saying, God, I've actually been challenged on this before, and I've willfully chosen to close my ears to it and ask for your forgiveness. It's a prayer I've had to pray for myself. So first step is prayer, pray. Second, plan. Second P is plan. We want to be a generous people who are looking for more and more ways to give. But like anything in life, we can have good intentions, but if we're not intentional, it's unlikely to happen. We need a plan. Without one, it's, I'll be honest, I'm, not pre, I'm sure in my own life and in your life, you're not just going to stumble into generosity just with good intentions. We need to be intentional. We need to have a plan if we're going to be uh, those who are regularly and radically giving. So the first question is this, simple one. Do you make a yearly budget? Do you make a yearly budget? Is that, the concept that for some is like, what do you mean, a budget? Think about, look at what money have you got coming in and what money have you got going out. Log it in a spreadsheet. You can even get free apps now that help you log all of your finances. Great ways to track what's coming in and what's going out. If you're saying, look, I'm always broke, then look at, okay, what's your money going out on? I was chatting to someone recently who's always broke, and they looked at they're getting Costa every day. Well, that could be an area that you could reduce in your life to help you maybe have a few pennies to give to a good cause. Look at your life. Are you spending tons of money on clothes, tons of money on eating out, whatever it might be, the, the, the apps on your phone or the hobby or whatever it is. Look at your budget. Equally, if you have a budget and you've been giving for a long time, review your giving. Something I like to do every summer. Have you had a, a season of life where your income has increased, but your giving has not? I've had times in my life where I've accidentally ignored um, the fact that my income has increased because I didn't really want to give more. And again, I've had to repent of that. And when you plan, make the plan for now. The worst thing you can do is say, all right, I'll make a plan in six months, a year, and then I'll start being generous. The truth is this, the decisions you make today are the decisions you'll make tomorrow. The decisions you make now are the decisions you'll make tomorrow. Again, one of the biggest myths is um, I'll, I'll start giving when I have more. I'll be generous when I'm wealthy enough. Do you know that statistically, the more that people earn, the less they give? Percentage-wise, the more you earn, the less you give. That's the trend. But when we look at the widow, she didn't, get, she didn't wait to give until she got rich. She gave even in her poverty. All can give, and all of us can live this out. 
So again, another practical question I get asked all the time. How much should I give? How much should I give? Well, what are some practical, uh, what are some general principles to aim for? Is there a set percentage that we should give? Well, let me ask you this question. What percentage of what we have is God's? 0%? Here's the problem when we primarily focus on the percentage. We start playing games and start missing the point of why we give in the first place. We start becoming a bit like Starbucks or Google trying to kind of avoid the taxes and trying to find the loopholes and the loopholes and the back doors and the things we can do to reduce the outgoings. And the truth is we all have an inner giving avoidance expert. We all have one lodged in our head, a little expert that's telling us the lines that makes us feel better about what we do. I expect for some of us, they've been working 100 miles an hour for the last half an hour. <laughs> Things like, yes, I'm generous. I give 10%. Well, 10% after tax and after bills and after my rent and after my Netflix subscription. And I did just start Now TV as well. But after all that, I do give 10%. And that counts, right? That's, that's, that counts. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm generous. I mean, yeah, of course, I know I don't give any money, but instead of my money, I've chosen to give my time. Yeah, I'm generous. I, I gave a fiver to Comic Relief last year, and they raised two million pounds. Yeah, I'm generous. I, I, I know I don't give to, to church or, or to anything that kind of, of God, but I sponsor a dolphin, and, and God made dolphins right. Like that, that's the thing, surely, yeah? You laugh. I've heard that one. More than once. Look, we've all been there. I bring up these examples because I can relate to them. For a long time, I was having the inner giving avoidance expert debating in my head about whether I should give off my net income after tax or gross income before tax. I'm there wrestling away trying to think, what do I give? Because it makes a difference to the amount and it kind of, I, I don't really want uh. And I realized after a while... Basically, I was trying to see how I could give as little as possible and still feel good about myself. That's what it boiled down to. I just wanted to know that I could give as little as possible and not feel bad about myself. I'd completely missed the point. More specifically, I'd completely forgotten who God is. See, God is not the inland revenue. God is your father, not the tax man. He wants you to have a view of money that brings freedom. And nothing brings freedom from money more than knowing it's all his, all from him. And so we can now freely give. King David, who is a man after God's heart, we read, it says in the Bible, um, he, he understood this concept. He says in 1 Chron Chronicles 29, 14, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything comes from you. And all the stuff that we're giving you was given to us by you in the first place anyway. It's saying it's all God's. That's the starting point. Not saying, oh, I'll give God 10%. 
It's saying, I give you 100%. It's all yours. I know that you have blessed me, God, to be a blessing. None of it is ours. We are just stewards of his gifts. So what about tithing then? Well, God's people in the Old Testament, there was this whole concept of tithing. It literally means tenth, where they gave a tenth of their income to God. On top of that, they would give offerings, which took their giving to roughly around 23%. They would give to God around 23% of all they had. Now, as people of the New Testament who have seen the cross and Jesus' incredible generosity and sacrifice on our behalf, I think that giving 10% is a, a good starting point to aim for. I think it's a good principle to use as a foundation. And then the more we grow, the more we fall in love with God, the more we mature and want to worship him more, the more we want to give above and beyond that. Now, of course, everyone is in different situations. Some of us here tonight are students. Some of us are unemployed. Some of us are in lots of debt. Some of us are self-employed. Some of us have personal situations that make giving a lot more complicated or a lot more challenging to do. And in those circumstances, it can definitely take a lot more creativity and a lot more effort to find ways to be generous. But as the widow shows us, generosity is possible for all of us. All of us can find ways to be generous. And just as a heads up, giving can be painful. It can be painful. Generous giving, I think a good way to define it would be this. Generosity is giving so it hurts. So it hurts. There's a sacrifice. There's a, a dying to something. You look at the amount that you're going to give and the thoughts come into your head. You think, ah, if I didn't give that, I could probably upgrade that holiday that I'm going on. Instead of going Cornwall, I could probably go somewhere abroad a bit hotter that might not rain every day. Or you're thinking, I could get that nicer car if I didn't give, or probably eat out a bit more, or having to eat at places other than just Taylor's Chalk on a Sunday night. It hurts, I've done it every year. When I review my giving, those thoughts will cross my head. Generosity is giving so it hurts. And it can be especially hard if you've never given before. You think, I'm not used to this. This just feels a bit weird. But I promise you this. When you start doing it, it will bring you such freedom. Just a few weeks ago, someone from Six Scott Church came bounding up to me. I love this moment. It's so cool. They said, John, I've just set up a standing order for the first time. I'm giving just over 10%. And she's, she's beaming and she's so smiling. She's just like, look, this, you, you were right. It was painful. As I clicked the submit button on the online banking, I was like, this hurts. I, I did just what you said. It was, it was that moment of thinking what I could have if I, if I didn't give. And she's like, I now have the smallest income I've ever had. And I, I've been more nervous about money than ever. But I wanted to honor God with my money. And so I've set up a standing order. And I loved that moment because she was aware of the pain, but she was so filled with the freedom and joy of knowing not everything I have is mine. In fact, all I have is his. So yes, it hurts, but I give gladly. I give cheerfully. It was a great moment. I loved celebrating that moment together. 
So another really practical question. Where do you give? Now, one of the things to notice from the story of the widow is that the widow was given at the temple. And it's right that we get our giving to the church sorted as a priority. That we give to the place that we call our home, our family. And you might say, well, okay, now that sounds good, but what about giving to charities or people individually? Can I, what about doing that instead? Or should we do that at all? Well, just as people in the Bible gave to the temple, they also gave directly to those in need. If you have a friend or a neighbor or a charity or cause or an organization that you believe in and want to support, then it's a great thing to support that financially. Really, really good. For me, on top of my church giving, I love supporting individuals um, who work for charities where they have to raise their own salary. They don't get given their salary from the charity, but they're supported by their church family. I love doing that. I love sponsoring a child through compassion, as many of you do. It was amazing back in January just seeing so many people signing up for child sponsorships. Great sign of generosity. I love that. But why do we do that? Why do we do things like sponsoring children with compassion? Because our heart is there. Our heart is there. That's why we do it. And so I would say if your heart is in a church, is in a church family, then give to that family. It doesn't have to be here. If you're based at another church and giving, give to that family. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, I knew it. Church just wants your money. He's confirmed it. Maybe you're here for the first time, and that was your stereotype. And here I am saying it, and you're like, I knew it. All they want is our money. Let me say it loud and clear. You do not, you do not need to give a thing. You don't need to give a thing. The reason I share this isn't because I get commission. I'm not getting a pay review after tonight where they're going to say, okay, we had 10 tithers sign up, so bonus this year, John. Like, I get nothing out of this personally. I'm saying all of this because I love you. I've given my life to Six Scott Church. I love this family. This isn't like I've just literally spent weeks thinking about tonight because I really do believe there's such power in this message. I'm not getting any gain from this personally, apart from just seeing the people I care about here experiencing freedom instead of the bondage of the love of money. And I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on the joy that comes from knowing you're playing your part in the family. I don't want you to miss out on the power of being able to say to your barber or your neighbor or your mum or your friend, That you don't just preach something, you practice what you preach. So much so that you're willing to give everything to it. I don't want you to miss out on the peace of knowing you have a father who will provide for you. Of knowing that there's a God stronger than money. Of knowing that by handing over control, whilst it's scary at first, there's such freedom in him. And if right now you're feeling that inner fight of, I can't do this, it feels too hard, or maybe you're at war with that inner giving avoidance expert. Or even if that you're like, you know what, just deep down I don't really want to, but I kind of do, but I kind of don't. Then here's my encouragement to you. Go back to the starting point. 
Go back to the starting point. See, at the end of the day, if you're not convinced by the lavish, gracious, radically generous love of God, then you're never going to give. You're never going to be generous. You need to be convinced of that first. When you're fixated by, when you're devoted to, when you're kind of overwhelmed by God's generosity, as I say, all you can do is want to be generous in return. When your heart is warm towards him, then your treasure will follow. Again, let me, this is something to say loud and clear. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Some people here tonight have never given their heart to God. You can do that today. You can give him your heart today. Some of us once did, or maybe we thought we did. But as we read that verse where Jesus says, your treasure reveals your heart, you're being convicted. It's different from shame. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit saying, look, you know there's something awry in your heart. It's time to make it right. You can rededicate your life to him tonight. What an amazing opportunity. What an amazing invitation. What a time to know freedom. I'm excited for you tonight. I said it at the beginning. I'm excited for 6 o'clock church. I really do believe that this message can change our community that when you and I choose to be generous, it won't just impact us, but it will have an impact on those watching us. We're desperate to see people saved. And I think this is one of the key ingredients that's going to lead to your neighbors, your family members, your colleagues coming to know Jesus. Freedom in the area of finances has changed my life, and I do genuinely believe it can do the same for you. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray.